Hi, and welcome to the On the Blue Couch podcast. I'm Kathleen, and this is the podcast that provides information, reflections, and interviews on anything and everything related to therapy. This is episode 13, EMDR Therapy, an interview with D. Michael Coy. Hi all and welcome to this 13th episode. We will be talking about EMDR therapy today and this is a podcast that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. I'm a believer in EMDR. Um, I do use it in my own private practice and I wanted to speak with someone uh, who not only uses it in their own practice but also consults with other therapists either using it in their practice or going through the certification process. So I'm very excited to share this interview with D. Michael Coy. Uh, Currently, at the time of this podcast, he is in the Chicago area, and he will be sharing with us this upcoming transition that actually sounds really cool. Um, But he has a lot of great knowledge to offer. Um, And so as part of this podcast series, um, you know, it being related to therapy, I do want to bring to you therapies that are out there so that you have more knowledge about what options are available, either for you, for friends, for family. You will hear about exactly what EMDR therapy is, um, how it can be useful, the benefits of it, as well as how to make an informed decision about finding a therapist if you are interested uh, in even participating in EMDR therapy. So before we start this interview, I want to tell you a little bit more about D. Michael Coy. Uh, He is a clinical social worker, and his treatment interests include attachment trauma, addictions and compulsions, PTSD, complex PTSD, and disorders spanning the dissociative continuum, including dissociative identity disorder. Michael is certified by the EMDR International Association, or EMDRIA, in EMDR, and is also an EMDRIA-approved consultant. To learn more, please go to onthebluecouch.com. Uh, please enjoy this interview. Hi, Michael, and thank you for being with us at this On the Blue Couch podcast. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about EMDR today. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited too. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of wanted to start and ask you a little bit about uh, your current practice. You have a private practice in Chicago. We're actually meeting there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have an upcoming move, and I think it's really exciting and wanted to hear more about it. So I have been practicing uh, independently or semi-independently in Chicago since September of 2009. Mm-hmm. Um I was recently offered the opportunity to work with uh, my mentor, Sandra Paulson, who is an expert in EMDR therapy and complex trauma and the dissociative disorders in the Seattle area. Uh, I'm actually going to be relocating to join the Bainbridge Institute for Integrative Psychology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sandra trains uh, in workshop formats. Um, She offers individual and group consults, and she just 
is kind of fabulous. So um, I'm going to be joining as a principal in the practice, but on the Seattle side mm -hmm. rather than on Bainbridge Island. Okay. Well, congratulations. That sounds Thank like a you. really exciting move. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Oh, that's great. Um, so clearly you have a lot of experience and are collaborating in the EMDR field. Um, and I wanted to start by just kind of starting with the basics mm -hmm. of EMDR. And so even starting with what EMDR stands for. So EMDR therapy is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing therapy. Mm -hmm. um, Francine Shapiro, who originally developed EMDR therapy, has been on record as saying that she wished she just called it reprocessing therapy. It just so happens that the eye movements were the first uh, form of bilateral dual attention stimulus that she stumbled upon. So mm -hmm. the eye movements are not specifically integral, but they are the most uh, researched. Okay. So, you know, I read a little bit about the story of how she discovered this. Do you the want to walk in the park? The walk in the park. Do you mind taking a moment just to share? So the myth... I don't know if it's a myth, actually. I don't know what it is. But the story goes that uh, Francine was walking in, I believe it was Central Park. Uh-huh. And uh, she thought of something that had been very disturbing for her in the past. And her eyes started moving rapidly, spontaneously. Um, afterward, she realized that what she had been thinking about no longer bothered her. And she wondered if maybe there was something to the eye movements. Um, at the very beginning, it wasn't eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. The reprocessing piece wasn't understood or even really known. It was just eye movement desensitization. And so over time and trial and error, it developed into an eight-phase protocol, which is the standard protocol, which is the one that most people know about, if they know about it at all. And um, it not only desensitizes old memory material that didn't get fully digested by the brain, um, it brings the, those things to some kind of an adaptive resolution so that the brain and the person recognizes mm -hmm. that whatever it was really is in the past and it's no longer bothersome. Okay. So one reason I really wanted to talk to you today is because I think about people out there who may have never heard of EMDR or maybe have read like one article about it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your experience with why people even think about choosing EMDR therapy or why a therapist might even recommend it uh, to a client? Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, classically, uh, EMDR therapy has been used to treat uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it doesn't just treat the symptoms, it deals with the causes, the roots, mm -hmm. so that there are no longer symptoms. Um, frankly, it's not always that simple. Uh, most of the, the empirical research, the, the respected research, has been done on using EMDR therapy to treat PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still strangely not very well known. 
it's still considered kind of obscure. Uh, although I sometimes think it's considered obscure by therapists that don't understand it or think it's magic or something, but mm-hmm. you said, I have a bunch of questions I think that are coming up for me right now, but where I would like to start maybe, um, is how you found out about EMDR and kind of maybe a little bit about your own EMDR journey for the purpose of really understanding like how to make sense of it mm-hmm. and then how you kind of brought it into your own, own practice, mm-hmm. um, what you've seen. Well, there's a pretty clear through line from where I discovered it to it becoming a part of my practice. Um, I actually discovered it because uh, my first clinical job was working with adolescent wards of the state in a residential treatment facility. And um, I don't know of anybody that came through their teenage years unscathed. I was one of those people. (laughs) And very early on, this would have been 2007, uh, working in this environment, I got really triggered. Mm -hmm. And one day, I was alone in my office, and I had a panic attack. Oh, wow. And I immediately looked up therapists. I didn't know what EMDR therapy was. I wasn't looking for that. Uh, I was just looking for somebody that they seemed like they might be able to help me. Uh, The person that I ended up working with during the first session said, I'm trained in this thing called EMDR. Uh, I think it might really help you. Uh, Here's a little bit of information about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Why don't you do some more reading and then come back next week and we can talk more. And it changed my life um, because it, it wasn't, it wasn't single episode. It was more like experience that was woven through my life. Uh And we went about teasing out these threads, uh, clearing out my nervous system of the disturbance that was hanging out there Mm -hmm. related to all these old undigested experiences. And in 2010, I finally decided to take the plunge and get trained in it myself Mm -hmm. because I thought I had a responsibility to after having had such a strong, a powerful experience of it myself. So in 2011, I went through the parts one and two trainings, uh, six months apart. It's pretty intense. Um, It's 50 hours total. 40 hours of uh, classroom and uh, group training where you're actually in a practicum situation where you're practicing on one another and then 10 hours of consultation before you can even get your basic certificate of completion. Um, And then from there on, uh, there was kind of no stopping me. I absorbed things really rapidly and so here I am today. And so kind of getting into, you know, you talk about these different threads and I think it kind of gets into the idea of what we call like the little traumas, the bigger traumas. And so I feel like the word trauma can mean so much. Yeah. So when somebody comes in to see you or you're trying to describe it to other people, how do you describe trauma uh, to friends, family, clients, who's ever asking about it? Yes. So I don't use the word trauma because when people talk about trauma, usually they're talking about some gigantic, horrible thing. 
I don't remember if trauma, it's uh, either a Greek or Latin word originally, but all it means is wound. And so I talk to people about emotional wounding. Uh, the brain doesn't discern the difference between emotional and physical pain. It handles them the same way, it appears. And so I talk to people about old experience that when they think about it, it still hurts. It's not that they chose for it to still hurt. They didn't. Most people wouldn't want for things to hurt still. Uh, however, I'm very clear with people that they don't get to consciously decide what still hurts. Their brain decided that for them, whether it was overwhelming or not, mm -hmm. long before they probably started to develop a story mm -hmm. about what that experience meant to them. It's just about the brain keeping the self alive, no matter what. And so emotionally, if people are feeling rotten, I think of it as inflammation. It's something old and festering that just wants proper healing. People seem to take well to that because otherwise people feel shamed by this idea that they couldn't handle something when right. often people already feel that way anyway. Wow. Now I'm sitting here listening, thinking like what that must be like because it's such a powerful way, I think, to just describe what it means for the body to hold. Yeah, it's not a choice. Mm -mm. It's, it's almost like a car driving down the road at its normal speed and somebody tries to hit the brake and the brake doesn't do anything and so they end up having to pull the parking brake. It's like an extraordinary measure and the brain does it naturally under extreme stress. Now you mentioned the the small t and the big t mm -hmm. traumas. Um, I have come to think that there's really not much difference because um, what might be a small T to an adult could be a gigantic T trauma to a little kid or a baby. It's really just about how much is somebody's brain and nervous system capable of, capable of digesting in that moment. If it's not very much, then it really is all relative. So for someone wanting to know more about, okay, I know that I'm not feeling okay in this way, or I've had a panic attack um, in this particular kind of situation, or I'm just not making sense of why I'm having these reactions. Mm -hmm. And they want to know more about what the EMDR process would look like. So they go in and see a therapist, right? And they sit down and like, mm -hmm. what can they kind of expect within the framework in a very individual way? Well, there is a standard way of going about this. I mean, that, there's a protocol that helps to dictate this so that there's a structure to the therapy. Mm -hmm. However, there is variance from therapist to therapist. Um, traditionally, what happens is some, a th client will come in, presuming the, the therapist is EMDR trained, let's imagine that they're actually trained in EMDR therapy, then they're going to get a sense of what the present day symptoms are, um, what's triggering them, and take a history. Uh, it may be more comprehensive, less comprehensive, but just to get a sense of what the lay of the land is. Mm -hmm. um, 
then the therapist will try to identify with the client what the antecedents were. So try to figure out well, what do the symptoms and the triggers, what are they connected to? What do they stem from? This usually leads back to something older that is sort of raw and unprocessed sitting in the nervous system waiting to get triggered. Once those um, sorts of experiences are, are identified, it's almost like uh, setting up pins in bowling and then figuring out how to strategically hit the pins so that you get the biggest bang for your buck. So uh, according to the standard training, you'd look at the earliest memories that still are bothersome or the worst, so those that feel the worst, Mm -hmm. on something like a 0 to 10 scale where 0 means that it's not bothersome at all and 10 feels like the worst thing that's ever happened to the person and then the therapist and the client determine which memories they're going to reprocess first and then they're off to the races mm -hmm. very often uh, assuming that it's a well-developed treatment plan the pins just start dropping and it may be that later memories chronologically won't need as much attention because their, their precursors, their antecedents have been fully reprocessed. So there's almost like a reverse ripple effect that's happening. Okay. So what do people start to like, clients and yourself notice as these bowling pins start to be strategically kind of targeted and hit and like how do what have you noticed about the way people might walk through life I know that's kind of a very broad question but like what can people start to notice in their own lives as they move through the EMDR process so before reprocessing old raw memory material people often feel hijacked by their emotions mm. or hijacked by, let's say, body sensation or hijacked by a meaning like, I'm an idiot, I should have known better, it's my fault, uh, I'm not safe, mm -hmm. I'm going to die, those sorts of things. Uh, a lot of that is just that the, um, the parts of the brain that concerns, concern themselves with ensuring survival take over. And they're running the show so the ability to think in a clear chronological logical way get knocked to the side as reprocessing begins what i've noticed most is that clients find themselves more able to stay present they feel their emotions as if they're information but it's almost like having a consultant there but they're not making the decisions for you. You're thinking your left brain, your left hemisphere, um, which is the, what we, I guess what separates us from other species that makes us human, mm -hmm. um, remains in charge, remains behind the steering wheel and can say, yeah, 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 we're scared right now, but we're fine. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, that's in the past. After treatment is complete, mm -hmm. um, people don't get triggered anymore by that old stuff. And they don't get triggered by stuff that's happening in the past that reaches back 
into that old raw material, mm -hmm. there's something, there's nothing to grab onto anymore. And they don't have triggers. So it's almost as though they never had trauma. Mm -hmm. They'll remember it. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll remember that it was a bad time or whatever, but it, it, it doesn't mean anything as far as disturbance goes. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, just when we talk about PTSD and EMDR, they're very much, you know, linked and connected. And I, when I look up literature, you know, there are studies on um, it as a useful practice. It's evidence-based. Mm -hmm. um, what other ways or what other things do you see as far as what EMDR can be useful for in treating um, in making better uh, like I know that there's a whole range of things that people can have going on in their lives that EMDR can actually be useful for. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, frankly, I think one of the reasons that the effectiveness of EMDR therapy is most studied with PTSD mm -hmm. is because classic PTSD is pretty straightforward. Um, the symptoms are easily seen. Um, they're more easily measured as far as the intensity of the, the, the symptoms, mm -hmm. how, how bad they feel. And it's very clear when people aren't bothered anymore by those symptoms. Um, when we get into more complexity, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't understand about how the brain and the nervous system work. We understand a lot more than, and by they, researchers, neurobiologists, and so on, they understand more than they used to. Um, but I think of anything like PTSD as a sign of inflammation in the nervous system. And so if there's inflammation, um, I mean, fevers are inflammation. They're mm -hmm. a sign that the body is fighting something that's mm -hmm. invaded. Um, well, there may be things hanging around in the nervous system, sensory information that never fully got processed by the brain well, that's in a way of thinking about it, inflammation too. Mm -hmm. And so EMDR therapy could, it's not magic. All it does is kickstart a process in, in the body, in the brain. It's naturally occurring. And so um, it, could, it can hypothetically be used for all sorts of emotional, psychological distress, um, depression, um, attachment-related issues. Uh, there's more and more research into its use in treating borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Anxiety. Um, what else? I mean, complex PTSD, which is not a single pebble dropping in a still pond, but lots and lots of pebbles that have dropped over a period of years mm -hmm. usually um, so the ripples start to interweave with one another so it's less about whether EMDR therapy will work so much as um, how facile is the practitioner mm -hmm. in developing a plan for treating the interwoven uh, knotted issues you mentioned the word magic it can be perceived that way. So I kind of wanted to get into misconceptions around EMDR um, therapy that you're aware of. Um, mm. There seem to be some misconceptions about how it works or what it is. And what is your input on that? Yeah, well, let's see. 
Um, there's the idea that the eye movements don't do anything at all and that they're not really necessary. Um, empirical research has completely um, proved that false. But there is something about what the eye movements do as far as uh, kickstarting and orienting response in the brain to get information processing happening in a way that it apparently typically doesn't uh, mm -hmm. when we're awake. It's usually a, an asleep sort of thing. Uh, let's see that it is um, a placebo. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, frankly, if it were a placebo, well, most of the therapists that I know who use it are pretty picky about what they do in their, in their treatment with clients, and they don't use things that don't work. Um, if it didn't work, I wouldn't use it. If people didn't have permanent results, mm -hmm. I'd find something else that worked better if I could. So um, let's see, that it's voodoo, um, that it's magic. I can't really qualify either of those, but um, I won't name any names. I have a colleague who uh, is a very strict cognitive behavioral therapist who said that she wouldn't look into using EMDR therapy or getting trained in it because there wasn't enough research. Well, that's actually also one of the myths. Mm -hmm. uh, EMDR therapy is actually more researched than cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. for treating PTSD. So, um, oh, and the other big one is that will somehow erase your memories um, or that it's uh, it's sort of a one-shot deal that one, mm -hmm. one or two sessions and everything will be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, as far as it erasing your memories, well, memory by its nature is imperfect because it's filtered through our emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Nobody has a perfect take on reality. So um, different people see varying effects. Some people's uh, memories of certain things become more vivid. Mm -hmm. For other people, the memory feels further away. It's really kind of dictated by how your brain handles that memory material once it's finished processing it. It's really not about the EMDR therapy itself. Um, as far as... Um, what did I say the other thing was? Oh, that it's a one or two shot deal. Okay. Um, it depends on how complicated the uh, memory material is. Like how much of it has actually been processed already by the brain. Uh-huh. Um, how complex the experience was, the wounding, whether it was a single episode, whether it wasn't. But I use metaphors with clients to try to explain that so that it doesn't seem like I'm either making false promises or telling them it'll never never be fixed. It's mm -hmm. really probably somewhere in the middle. So I just wanted to go back for a moment. We were talking about, you know, misconceptions and this idea that some people might have the misconception that their memory will be erased. Mm. Um, and I know that um, I run into that a little bit in my own practice of like the fear of starting EMDR um, for like the fear of the memory that we're working on being erased. Can you speak more to that as how you have observed that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of things that I've heard from clients. 
um, as far as a fear uh, is that if they don't like with a, a loss of a loved one whether it's a person or a pet mm -hmm. that they will not be honoring their loved one if they don't feel terrible anymore um, another is like for people that have experienced things like uh, natural disasters or some kind of an attack um, in a public place, whatever, that they, they won't be honoring other people. They will forget the experience that somehow that will be lost to them. And I have never seen any evidence at all that people forget. I, I can't speak to the intricacies of how the brain works, but again, EMDR therapy is not magic. It, is, it itself is a, a therapy that in a structured way helps the brain finish what it didn't finish because the, the information processing got disrupted. Um, so people will remember um, people may even feel sad about the loss. It's not going to erase healthy, naturally occurring emotion. Uh, it doesn't erase knowledge. Now, I do want to point out that a, a red flag uh, that any EMDR therapist needs to take into consideration is whether somebody is testifying in court or there's a chance that they need to testify whether it's uh, a criminal proceeding or any in any way they're going to have to be deposed or put on the stand to give evidence uh, because memory changes when it's not vivid anymore trauma memory uh, is held differently in the nervous system in the brain than quote normal memory Trauma memory is more vivid, which is a double-edged sword. It's more vivid, which means you can remember more, but that means it also hurts more. Mm -hmm. If somebody needs to testify, uh, they probably need the strong emotion that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. um, but if somebody isn't going to testify, essentially your brain is hiccuping perpetually on this material that it's stuck with and it, it ideally doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And so reprocessing it doesn't mean that your memory is erased. It just means that you're going to have a different point of view on your experience. You won't be trapped in it anymore. Um, we have been talking about, you know, eye movements as mm -hmm. far as, you know, EMDR therapy. Um, and I wanted to to get more information on what your thoughts are on the other methods of bilateral stimulation, which is part of the eye movements. Yes. Uh, if you could talk to one, the different kind of, I don't know if we want to say the word equipment or the different ways that we use bilateral stimulation. Yes. Okay. So I just had a client um, earlier, was it last week, asking me, we used um, these tappers for the first time. They are these gently vibrating tappers. You hold one in each hand, one, one little tapper, and they vibrate back and forth. And it essentially, it appears, gets, gets the brain talking back and forth uh, between the right and left hemisphere in a particular way. I'm not going to speak to that, so please don't put me on record as 
thing. This is exactly what it does. But um, they did ask, well, is this going to be as good as the eye movements? And I said, well, uh, when they first were using the eye movements, they discovered the eye movements don't very work very well with blind people. So they had to find out another way. And so that's where the taps came in. So um, uh-huh. let's see. Um, essentially, any way that you can stimulate the right and the left side of the body and the brain, um, that would be eye movements. That would be um, taps, whether it's physical taps on, let's say, the knees or the backs of the hands, mm-hmm. um, back and forth, or auditory tones. Um, it starts to get a little complicated and technical, and so you tell me how much you think you want to hear. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, is there one, for example, that's better for a particular situation? Like, is yeah. there any research on that? Well, um, it appears that the eye movements are really good if somebody is experiencing intrusive images because the eye movements keep them out of their head. Uh, also, if somebody is very uh, prone to be in their head in a very highly intellectualized way, mm-hmm. um, the eye movements actually prevent that from happening, which is really lovely because uh, people who are very analytical or highly, um, let's say, critiquing of themselves or, or others, mm-hmm. uh, the eye movements disrupt that and actually let the natural flow of information happen between the right and left sides of the brain. So, um, there is an EMDR therapist uh, who is a specialist on the experience of pain named Mark Grant. I think he's in Australia. Uh, He swears by auditory tones if you're working with uh, pain. And then the taps uh, depends, I guess, again, on what you're doing. If you actually, if the therapist wants the client to be able to visualize Uh um, for whatever reason, they want it to be more vivid, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, sometimes people will close their eyes and they just kind of let their imagination go. It's almost like a stream of consciousness that's that's happening. Then... um, the taps are, are very good for that because your brain can be processing the information, the therapist is tapping away, and um, the brain's just doing what it's doing. Sometimes that actually helps people become more in contact with the emotion associated with the experience. Uh, very good, I think, in terms of when people are under accessing emotion versus over accessing the emotion. So, so for people who are interested in finding um, a therapist who is trained in EMDR uh, therapy, um, how, what do you recommend for people so that they are informed consumers in finding the right therapist? So, first of all, probably have a sense of what you're going in for. What is it that you want to actually address? Uh, I'm 
always encouraging uh, people to ask questions about how long the therapist has been practicing EMDR therapy, mm-hmm. um, whether they've completed basic training, uh, or whether they're certified in EMDR therapy, because that's a much bigger commitment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are there are EMDR therapists who are not certified who are excellent. Mm-hmm. However, being on the other side of certification myself, mm-hmm. I'm much more likely to refer to somebody that's uh, a certified EMDR therapist than someone who's not, because I know they've put a lot of extra time and effort into developing their craft. Mm-hmm. Um, also, oh, this is a tough one, because um, of the kinds of therapy that I do, the kinds of uh, clients that I see, mm-hmm. uh, I do a lot of extra screening and assessment to make sure that when we actually start reprocessing memory material that um, things are gonna work this, the way that the box says it's supposed to. Uh, a lot of the clients that I work with require a lot of special preparation uh, that may not involve the reprocessing phases of EMDR therapy. So, um, like if somebody has a suspicion that uh, it's not a single episode uh, issue mm-hmm. that they want to deal with, mm-hmm. asking the therapist whether they have any experience working with more complex clients. Mm-hmm. So, can you just quickly tell us, like, can you give us one example of what the difference between like a single episode and maybe more like you kind of described the multiple pebbles earlier yeah. on. Well, it's like the fiery car crash, mm-hmm. um, let's say would be the single episode or a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas complex trauma, it may not be that there were multiple fiery car crashes. It's more like um, throughout a person's life, it's almost like the emotional wounding has been woven into their life. It's just been such a regular occurrence, and it's not just one thing. It's a variety of different sorts of things. Uh, some of it may be relationship-related trauma. Uh, some of it may be shock trauma, like the fiery car crash type stuff, mm-hmm. like medical trauma, you know, cancer scares, things like that. Uh, and it's more often a matter of whether the therapist has enough experience conceptualizing mm-hmm. how to deal with the complexity rather than whether they're any good at EMDR therapy or not. So for the complexity, what are some things that um, people can ask a therapist, maybe should ask, um, in if they want to be more informed about if that therapist is a good fit for them? Um, I am always wary and encourage clients to be wary if the therapist right up front says that they can jump right into reprocessing without any kind of consideration of the different factors that could prevent the reprocessing from having the desired effect. Okay. Uh, This is a complicated matter because a lot of times people don't actually know fully what's happening for them Uh walking into seeing a therapist. Many of the people that I work with, they just know that they feel miserable. They don't know why. They may have a sense of some of the factors, 
but I specifically assess and screen for a lot of different factors. Um, try to tease out as much as I possibly can so that I can develop the best plan so that you know we can make informed decisions together about what's the right rabbit hole to go down first, so to speak. Um, so as far as what sorts of things can the client ask, um, what other things do you have training in besides EMDR therapy? You know, mm -hmm. are you trained in dealing with complex trauma? I mean, maybe it's not about complex trauma, but so mm -hmm. much as, um, ah, yes. I don't ever expect that my clients should um, know all about what the therapist knows. And so it's, it can sometimes be the, the rat chasing its own tail in trying to answer this question. Yeah, no, I get Cause that. Because you can't know what you don't know going into it. Exactly. But I will say to any therapists that are listening in that are EMDR therapists, mm -hmm. being trained in EMDR therapy does not make you a fully informed and capable trauma therapist on its own. Mm -hmm. There's more to learn. Mm -hmm. EMDR therapy is often the gateway into it, but it's not the last thing that you're going to learn. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important statement. Yeah. It certainly was for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and is there anything else that um, you want us to know about questions that people should ask or what they should know going in? Uh, the EMDR uh, International Association website mm -hmm. has a very good therapist finder. Uh, right. right on the, the front page, you can actually click on a link up in the right-hand corner of the, the home page, and you can specifically look for people uh, in your zip code. You can look for people that are just trained in have basic training or uh, who are certified in okay. EMDR therapy. And people have to be, a, a, therapists have to be a member mm -hmm. to be on that list. Mm -hmm. um, the EMDR Institute has a list too, but it's only, it's a list of people that have been trained, but it doesn't mean that people are actually using it. Okay. It just means they were trained by the EMDR Institute and completed the training, so. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you want us to know about EMDR therapy? Uh, it's very powerful. It isn't so much about whether it's for everybody. It's more a matter of what preparation needs to happen to make sure that it's going to work for the client. Um, it has changed many people's lives. I've heard this over and over again from my own clients. Mm -hmm. I would never go back to doing pure talk therapies because I just don't get the same results. And people come into the practice and they leave and the, sometimes they come back because there's more they want to work on, mm -hmm. but they never come back for the same thing again. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share this really great, vast knowledge on this topic. And oh, thank you for it's having been great. me. Yeah, so good luck with everything and um, with your move. Oh, and, thank you. Um, I will also list for people out there upcoming 
talks because you have one coming up. And thank you. And again, um, all resources, anything mentioned in this podcast um, and other supporting resources will be listed at onthebluecouch.com. Until next time, thank you.